Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Anime House. Today we're going to do something anime tangential, so to speak. And we're going to be talking about uh, the new animated show on Netflix. It was trending on... It was trending on Netflix for a while, for about like a few weeks. I want to say two to three weeks before it is now trending anymore. But now it's uh, now it's there and it's on Netflix. And as we know, Netflix like all very often either hits really hard and the show is amazing, or misses very hard and the show is not good. In this case, Netflix Netflix hit the ball out of the park, so to speak, and they made this great show called The Blue Eye Samurai. I recently watched it. I encourage uh, Francisco to watch it. Francisco recently finished it. And it's a show that I'm personally pretty excited to talk about for a variety of reasons, from the animation all the way to the story. Super interesting. Really good. I definitely recommend it. To preface before we get before we continue, there will be spoilers, so if you haven't watched it, please do. It's honestly so cool and really interesting and a great show. Like I, I'd wholeheartedly recommend it. And I think what separates it more than most of this trope is the animation and it's very unique and very good so something that i really want to kind of emphasize there but yeah i mean great show and i can't wait to talk about it but there will be spoilers so again like if you haven't watched it please do but if you've watched it don't care about the spoilers or just want to listen to us talk um we'd love to have you please stay so yeah francisco what are your thoughts i i was really in in, in the mood to watch just a revenge kind of story so the moment you dropped it down and you're like hey blue samurai is good watch it i I was excited the animation is one it shines so well in action sequences the technology or their approach for this particular show really is just 100 the best when you're doing action sequences and it's phenomenal what they can accomplish because of what they decided to go with because it looks i'm not an expert on anything regarding animation oh i just get it off vibes but one it's not as smooth. The static shots aren't really too, you know, phenomenal. Like the character signs can kind of be bland. It's not the traditional anime, you know, sleek look that you might see from, from, um, for example, Jujutsu Kaisen with Gojo, right? They don't look as as cool, but the action sequences, I honestly think, are just way more enjoyable than most action series out there, including Jujutsu Kaisen. I'll even go as far as saying that, uh, not to say that it's bad, but I'm just saying that comparatively, if you think Jujutsu Kaisen has some pretty awesome fight sequences, which they do. I think Blue Samurai is definitely comparable and even shines in some other places, especially when it when they did that whole camera focus situation. I remember in episode seven when she was raiding the actual palace of one of you know the primary antagonist villains. There was, there was this whole motion of um, rotating the camera and then you can actually just, you know, you, you see it perfectly because it's 3D, but it's even smoother than you would actually expect. And it really like adds to the fact that she just has complete control of the entire scenario. Because it's often a one person versus everyone situation for the Blue Eye Samurai. Mm-hmm. Um, and I thought that was really cool. I don't know. I don't know what your opinion on that. Yeah, no. I mean, I 100% agree. I think like, I think one thing to go off of your animation point and something that I think I thought was really interesting was the way the animation was presented is not like, it's almost like an anime, but not quite, you know? It has that like staticky, almost like very like calligraphy esque feel, where the characters feel very drawn. They don't necessarily feel like it's animated, I guess. Yeah, it's. Like and I don't really know how to describe that like kind of visual sense, but like it's almost like it's so lifelike, but it's so like you can tell it's like drawn out. 
and it's so pretty. It's like it's like an art piece, but it's not an animation like we would expect from anime, which I think is really interesting. So it's not soft. It's very sharp with its colors, its presentations, the way the people are portrayed. All of that is really cool. Yeah, the character designer designs definitely have like a mix of sharp lines, soft lines, but it's really fluid, at least with the camera motion. So that's that's awesome. Um, there's a there's a lot of great moments, even like, but but if that was just it, it wouldn't be worth talking. What's fantastic is that it really provides something decently refreshing within the whole genre of revenge flicks. And I feel that samurai Ronin revenge stories are kind of one of the one of the pinnacles of revenge. Of, yeah, of revenge stories out there. It's, it's the one that's been done again and again and again. <laughs> it, it's it's like the standard, I guess. It's not these standards. It's just so. It has so much going for it. In the sleek aesthetics, it definitely helps for it. You know, just a lone samurai, one sword, skill, and then this kind of rogue hooded figure, right? This this yeah. a, a sleek of mystery that goes into it. It just helps for the entire vibe that you want that you that you would want to like even self-impose if you were like a five-year-old into this person, just complete badass master of of their craft. Um, and then blood driven. Um, of mm-hmm. course, it's, it's just going by aesthetics. Like a five year old can see that and think, oh, it's really cool. But it, it's it, there's, there's, there's more of saying within the actual theme. One, revenge stories are meant to be a warning <laughs> that, hey, don't don't be consumed by revenge. Life is more than just your hatred. Um, people suck. Yes, that's true. But there, there's things to enjoy in life, which is definitely touched up on this. But I think what's cool is that it's still, it doesn't undermine. It doesn't invalidate her hatred because it's in a way just what what she yeah. feels. Yeah, I mean like I think that's a big one too, right? Like that's that's one of the things that I also kind of uh I was also thinking about too, where it was like, yeah, I mean, she has every right to be mad, but then I, I really like the part in um in the later episodes where she was like, Oh, like she was taking into account um the other's feelings and like how they felt and like understanding and being empathetic while also like being like yeah like i still have a just need to do what i want but she's obviously harboring this like secret that like no one knows that she's a woman except like two people and it's something that she like carries with her as a burden and it's it's really interesting just like how that kind of thing was portrayed and then how like we see that she's justified in everything she does but then she has to balance that with the needs and empathy and feelings of others so like it is a revenge story in its core but it's also a revenge story about growth which is great i mean like a lot of i feel like that's the like that's a big thing in a lot of revenge stories right like the growth of the person over time yeah ideally it's a from negative to positive you know it's a positive arc but she spoiler at the end of the arc she doesn't give up on it so the story isn't done it's what i'm trying to say i was hoping that it would be a self-contained season one because one several reasons right i i I like self-contained stories i think they're really cool but i i do see i I, by the end of it i was actually really excited what they were going with but the other thing is more meta more relating to netflix netflix is not very good at giving second seasons anymore they are ruthless it is not not. so they're 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 really bad and that's like a notorious thing right where you have like the the whole uh like that's why netflix like often hits or misses and then when they miss they miss really hard but then they'd also just don't know what shows to cancel and stuff like that, which is really frustrating. 
there's always a fan base for a particular show, but there, it's just people who make these decisions. It's hard. I'm not. I don't envy these people who are making the decisions. I, you know, I I can understand. Like you're running a business, it's it's difficult, but it must suck for everyone who put their heart and soul into these series, regardless, right? And sometimes they're even promised a second season, but then later down the line, they you know redact that promise and just cancel the entire IP. Oh, uh, which yeah. I can't. I'm thinking. I vaguely remember a series like that that recently happened, and it was like this author. She super excited that her series got adapted you know she's still grateful but i unfortunately i don't remember her story but like that happened to someone recently within like the last two months so so it sucks it definitely sucks yeah i do gotta mention one thing right so mizu the protagonist right the um, blue eye samurai she is just there's reason you can see for her hatred but i don't want to say that she's justice like she is not <laughs> no yeah i think that, that was a big thing with her too right because i think a lot of people remember the the apprentice he was always saying like oh my god but you're a samurai like no samurai would behave like this like blah blah blah, samurai 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 and at the end like at one point she snapped she's like i'm not a samurai like don't address this but and like it, it goes to show that she has her own moral compass and her own ground of doing what she wants to do she is the perfect anti-hero in a lot of ways. Yeah. I will say that she knows what is right, though. She has a good understanding that what she's doing, yeah, this is demonic stuff that she's doing. In a way, it's kind of, a, she's feeling, fulfilling a Pygmalion effect where people breathe into this these notions of, like, you're just evil, you're a demon, and then she just, eventually, that's, that's what it becomes. Yeah, yeah, exactly. She says she accepts that people see her like this, so she will, she will dive into more into into the metaphor and physically embody what other people think of her, even though that's not right. She knows she was raised. It won her 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 upbringing sucks for like several reasons. Which like where I I do want to go into it, but there was a point in her life where she did know what love is like, and that's actually it comes from her sword master, her or her sword father, her adopted father. That mm-hmm. guy. And even he knows he's not necessarily the best moral compass for her. Um, but there's no denying that having that one person in her life was a really was was great for her to understand like what it means to be a good person. Yeah, uh, she is very well aware that some of the stuff that she does is is not good, yeah. uh, and that does eat at her. But at the end of the day, she is has a conviction that she must fulfill. Uh, which we haven't even necessarily gone into what she wants to do, <laughs> which is right. super interesting itself. But the one thing that I'm, that I'm trying to get into is that she kills a kid in one of these episodes. There, there's no justifying what. Yeah, no, no. There's no, there's no, there's no coming back from that. And like, I think she recognizes that at the beginning of the episode, but at the end, she just doesn't have a choice. And she's like, "Yeah, I know, I need to kill the kid." I was shocked when they did it, cause like, or when they yeah. had her do it, cause I was like, "Oh my god." <laughs> That's not normal. Like a lot of shows don't do that, which I think, right? It's it's one of those things that kind of separates. Us. It shows the brutality of like how bad she's had to be pushed to do that. But then also the implications of like the world and exactly we see more so like she is not supposed to be a good person or a good character. She is a bad person and a bad character because of past trauma and things that she's been forced to do. Like. The demon comparisons are really funny, or not funny, they're apt. And funnily enough, it happens so often in the beginning episodes where they constantly, like, every time they say demon, it immediately, the next 
the next shot is of her. We see that again and again and again and again in the first few episodes. And then later on, she's like, yes, I am a demon. Like, I am a terrible person. And she, like, fully acknowledges that, right? In fact, we, we even have an entire episode where it's, like, dedicated to, like, the demon. And it's literally just paralleling her entire life. That episode is the one where the backdrop, it starts with the, um, the player, right? Yes. The, I forget the play, but it starts with this, the unreal play, the, the blue-eyed demon play. Yeah, and it takes you a while to realize like who she is. No, they did that. That episode I think is fantastically directed. Like some of these episodes, I, I really think we can go into them like individually. We might even do that later on, depending on how like this episode rolls. But I think that that's one of my favorite episodes. But honestly, I can't pick. If I had to go and look at the episodes, I don't know which one would be my favorite. Mm. There's a, I think. There's even a, a comedy exists within every now and then, uh, physical comedy too. But I do, I do want to mention that the metaphor for her being a demon really lives up to it because she has some plot armor. Was that doubt? There's like, oh, she. I mean, she. I mean, she definitely does. Right at the end of the day, it's still an animated show. Yeah, yeah. But the plot armor helps elevate the metaphor because right. she just can't die. Yeah, she's a demon. I yeah, guess, it really point, right? it works with it. Yeah. Yeah, so that's why I feel that, you know, Paul Armour, usually people are like, eh, but what they're trying to go with is just this unrelenting demon of vengeance that just refuses to, well, obviously unrelenting, right? But it just keeps coming back. It's just no yeah. stopping. Yeah. yeah. Which I think is, I think is pretty cool. Like, I like that they did that, and I like how they, like, one of the things I really want to talk about, too, is the fact that they made the main character a woman. Where in a lot of shows, we don't really get that. And I think that's one of the more unique things about this show. Where they, I feel like they capture the struggles of being a woman in Edo period Japan pretty well. Like, it's not, it's not an easy task. And, like, there was a line that I thought was super powerful. It was like, you either get married or you become a whore. Like, choose one. You don't have a choice. Oh, yes. I know. That and, was the, um, yeah, that's a good character, too. Seki. Seki, yeah. And, like, I, I thought that was really, like, that was really powerful. Because, like... I'm gonna be real. That was true around the world at that time in like the 1800s, right? Like always, even before, bro. It's before the Civil War. Or way, like oh, I I know, like definitely way before. But like I think when it was this was set in what 1600 something. Okay, so we can actually tell what when this is set because the last episode is a reference to an actual IRO fire that happened in Japan. (laughs) That's that was a really good episode. 1657, the Great Fire of 1657. So yeah, that's. Another aspect that's actually kind of crazy is the guns. Yeah, the guns are guns are broken. Guns are broken. Okay, I wanted to talk about that. The guns, they're scary. But during yeah. this time, they have they don't. We as the audience are aware of how dangerous guns are. They're pretty right. much the beginning of of the end of the noble war, right? Like guns were introduced during the Civil War, World War One, and things just stopped. At least for the you know people back in the day, especially during, the, for example, the Revolutionary War in American history. Um, apologies, because I'm I'm American, and sadly that's the only where I know. But for that one, especially when you're Hamilton, for example, the musical, there's an emphasis that the people could go to war and they can gain fame and fortune, like by going to war. So it was you know it wasn't it wasn't as negative as we see today because going to war today just sucks. I mean, war always sucked, but yeah. back then there was an opportunity for you to raise your social status by, you know, going to war. But that actually stopped being a case once guns were introduced and their lethality was just out there. The Civil War, 
people went in there think and realized, man, war is just not what not what my dad and grandpa told me about. It's it is awful. And yeah. then World War One, every single country thought they were top shit that they were gonna win with their advanced technology. Guess what? You're sitting on the trenches for months. It just yeah, sucks, pretty much. dude. Pretty yeah. much. And like, unless you're like high up there and you have that option, then I mean, like you're you're pretty much in the you're just all you're doing is dying for your country. That's it. <laughs> Congrats. Yeah, exactly. And definitely for Japan, this this Japan has so much to say about this. The quote unquote dying for your country, um, self emboweling yourself for your honor, the honor. Right. That was fantastic. Oh man, but the guns, dude. The guns. If we're being realistic, I don't think they have as good as accuracy as they made them out to seem to have, right? Um, they're not lethal because the accuracy sucks and they're not very strong. And they can actually like blow up on your face. Um, so they, they, they suck well, at this time, 1657. Yeah, but, they're lethal because no one in Japan knows how to defend against it. Yeah, see, that's that layer. So like they don't know what to do. It's like straight up firepower. Like Guns were revolutionary for a lot of reasons, but one of them was because they were undefendable. Like you got shot you died like that's just how it was like with arrows with swords like a sword can cut off a limb and you'll still live an arrow can pierce a certain part of your body you'll probably still live depending on the part of the body it is yeah but if a gun shoots you you're done <laughs> like there's you just there's no coming back from that it's uh well actually in this time the gun could shoot you and you could still live because they're sh- kind of shitty but don't get me wrong they're scary they're scary and that psychological warfare is enough to break anyone yeah yeah and, and they, they're so it's just the way they're set up, and I think never they've set in the numbers because we know what guns are today. Today, mm-hmm. everything that you said that you said they shoot you, you're dead. It's over, right? You just it's not it's not like in John Wick. <laughs> yeah. In real, I mean John Wick out of everything is John, John Wick has like the most ridiculous plot armor in the world. <laughs> like, let's yeah. be real. He himself has plot armor, <laughs> but see what he does to everyone with a gun, and that's that's the reality of it. One shot, you're dead. Yeah, <laughs> uh, and and that's good. It, it, these directors, it, the people involved with this actually team, brought that understanding of like us in modern time to Edo. Even though you know, like I mentioned, they're not really the best, or they're not even comparable to the guns we have. But that fear that we have is honestly what the people in the other side, you know, the from the Shogun, the Japanese, probably felt. Yeah, I mean, it's loud too, so it's got so much going for it. It's so it's so smart, but um. I think we should finally talk about why Miso is angry. I mean, it's explained in the show. Yeah, but I don't. I don't think we mentioned. I th- you you briefly for like a second, but then we. There, you know. there, there's a few reasons. I think like obviously her being ostracized was a really big one, and like her having to hide her identity and who she is as a person for like her entire life really sucks. Everything that happened with her husband, her late husband, and like how he like pretty much sold her out without like giving it a second thought and then eventually killed her mom which was crazy that's a good episode was, that was an insane episode and that was the story episode right that was the, the play story episode yes so that was that was crazy and then we also have the fact that she wants to find out who her father is because she feels that she is like her father is responsible for causing her all this misery which she's not technically wrong but it's 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 just like she it, it is a true story of revenge, right? Because like she believes that her father is the one that did all this to her to her when yeah, I mean he pretty much did. And so it's implied it's heavily implied, right? I think he Yeah, exactly. It's it's very implied, yeah. So like 
she's like, okay, like, I needed vengeance, not just for myself, but, like, for... I think she kind of represents in a lot of ways, like, the vengeance of, like, Japan and, like, that era of just, like, the Westerners taking over and, like, invading and doing this. And, and like, she's just like, yeah, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna stand for this. Like, this is not, this is not it. Yeah, there's layers to this level, right? Part of it mm. is the actual xenophobia that Japan, you know, had during this time, especially with the fact that they became an isolationist uh, country starting, I don't know the actual year, but, like, it was happening. If you learn history, then you eventually, like, learn about Japan. You learn that Japan did a really good job of just isolating itself from just the rest of everything. <laughs> there's, yeah. there's, there's just moments of these, I mean, like, in One Piece, for example, Edo, not Edo, Wano has a one of their whole things is that they're isolated from the rest of the planet. It's very much mirroring Japan, right? Obviously, the same country of the author. And, and that has a lot of really cool and interesting settings that this show works with. The fact that this is a place that's just isolated and their hatred for... I don't know if it's necessarily hatred fear. There's something about it that they just don't want outside influence coming in. Probably because, you know, it's dangerous for... um. Just, just the country, right? right? I mean, we actually see opioids are disgusting, by the way, <laughs> and that's like one of the main exports that people were getting before they did the whole isolation situation. That's just not good for the people. I mean, there's layers, but the xenophobia goes into it. The fact that the her mother was assaulted and then eventually gave birth to um a quote unquote a half breed like her, and the hate that everyone around her, you know, sees her as just disgusting creature. That that messes with a kid. Right, exactly. And she was, like, bullied and ridiculed her entire life. And the fact that she was a woman. She's a woman, right? And her mom even says it. Like, as a woman, you don't have any, like, real value unless you get married. Like, she says that again and again and again. And eventually she forces Mizu to get married, which she does She does against her will. And it's, like, a whole thing, right? Where it's, like, she kind of realizes, like, being a woman in this country, I have no actual rights. Like, I have no say. I don't get to do what I want to do. And, like, as a result, I think she realizes that, like, she has no choice to become a demon, to then to become a demon, because, like, otherwise the life she has to live is terrible. I think that was a really good... That elevated, by the way. Episode 5, where we learned that she... They tried to sell us off that... Because of Misu's actions where, you know, she was also isolated as a child... Because the the scary white men are looking for her, are looking for a blue eye, um, young young daughter, their daughter, right? And they just want to cut cut them off, kill them, uh, because siren bastard children is a no no according to these people. And you know, yeah. So the mom did a good job of just keeping her hidden. Yeah. But then you know, like after when she was a child, she went out. The kids saw her. The kids, you know, the kids in the town saw her. That they went to tell their parents, and their and then the parents went to just burn down the place where she and her mom were living and it's implied that the mom died and then after that she's kind of adopted by sword father so there's a couple of years eventually she tells sword sword father hey i have i want to i have a revenge mission okay and then she explains her um background her, her kind of a story she explains in a way that sword father's like you know what sure you can practice late at night whatever and then she begins her adventure. And at that point, we're thinking, okay, so now we're caught up, right? Uh, I think that's episode two. So we're thinking, okay, so we're caught up. She left Sorrowfather to go on this, like, grand crusade for vengeance to kill the four four white men that might be her father. And that's cool, right? Something else that I realized is that she's really after these white men. <laughs> Inside of her head, she's made it so that these people have to die. Yeah. But exactly. it's more than just them. It's actually just the 
all of Jap- Japan at this point hates her. Yeah, pretty much. Everyone, no one likes her, right? Because she's... Initially, I mean, it's difficult to say no one. She's pretty much painting herself to become the villain. Yeah, it, it, yeah. They wanted her to be the villain. They, they, the Japanese with their, with you know everything that was going on with them, outside of their control, they were brainwashed to just hate her. It's kind of scapegoat situation, uh, and that hatred gets her. And I don't want to say everyone. Obviously, there's like decently kind people, regardless in whatever uh, country you might live in. For example, Ringo, very kind. Swordmaster, very kind. And you know they they provide. A reminder of Mizu that love it does exist. Yeah, there are pure-hearted, quote-unquote pure, but like there are nicer people in this world. And one of the things I really want to highlight, by the way, is like Ringo is um, is handicapped. He doesn't have a hand, and the way they chose to portray that, I think, was really interesting because like Ringo, Ringo's story is so like he views himself as ass. Yeah, like, he, he doesn't view himself in a overwhelmingly positive way, in the sense that, like, he knows that he's... But he's probably the most self... He is the most self-aware character, I think, in the entire show. He knows he's crippled, and he knows that he doesn't have a hand, yet he wants to fight as a samurai. He wants to learn to become a samurai. Why does he want to learn to become a samurai? So that way he can become good at something, or become the best at something. But then what he doesn't understand is, like, it takes a lot to get there, right? It's, like, a lot of hard work. And then he chooses the master that's not a samurai, but literally a demon or a killer. But to him, he sees her in a very positive... Like, to, to me, Ringo is a perfect example of, like, almost childlike innocence, right? He is the most innocent, yet endearing, yet, like, pure character in the show. Where, in a lot of ways... And, like... Coupled with the fact that he is handicapped and he has that, and that is a big part of his identity, is so cool and unique to me. Because in the early 1600s, in the 1600s, 1700s, until like the 2000s, basically still in society today, um, unfortunately, people who have disabilities are not really seen as full people and they're treated extremely differently. So to have him have someone who is disabled like that become or want to become a samurai i think is a true testament to like kind of a kind of an indicator to mizu in a lot of ways that like humanity still exists there are terrible people but he is like a light that is shining among all this darkness that's around her it's he was he's very important for her to just remain at least remain in a way that she just isn't she you can she can still talk to people. <laughs> I don't know. I just no other way to put it. She can still talk to people thanks to Ringo being every now and then reminding her, "Hey, dude, what's up?" Exactly. That that kind of energy. Um, Ringo's fantastic. This the side cast is very well mm-hmm. done. I think. I think Ringo is just the beginning of it. I think every single one of them is this side cast actually elevates a revenge series to be more than just what it is. The other thing that I feel also elevates it is I think the set. I think that her background what they went with, right? The setting, the time period, very smart. You know, automatically, if you know a bit of history, you kind of get a good understanding of what's going on in your head. Honestly, the best thing about the side cast to me was the fact that it didn't really feel like a side cast, if that makes sense. Like, each person felt like the main character. Yeah. They're all protagonists. Like, you, their, their stories were so flushed out, and we saw it from all their perspectives, so it was so interesting. 
Like, we had an entire episode dedicated to, uh, what's her name? Uh, Kemi. And that was, like, insane. She's good. She was good. I love her. I, she's so obnoxious for the first couple of episodes, but intentional, obviously. And even, ah. But she's resilient, and I think I love her. But the one person I wanted to mention that wasn't even necessarily part of the sidecast, but I think could be their own main character, and in a different universe, they could have been the focus character, is Madame Kaiji. Oh, yeah. 100%. I think a story that has it framed from her perspective would also be really interesting. Cause, and, and Madame Kaiji is like a proprietor for like um, this... Uh, what's the... Pecu- they use peculiarities for like a weird brothel. A uh, place where guests would come and ask for just the strangest things. Because a regular brothel would just be like, they go there, they have a laugh, they have sex. For Madame Kaiji, and this is actually probably really important for the themes, um, because one, it, it ex- she emphasizes how people can express their true selves here and what they want. Um, for example, homosexuality uh, tendencies or just being bi, too. Um, and then, like, fetishes, all kinds yeah. of fetishes. <laughs> Uh, and and she's just saying, yeah, this is just you know the kind of things that I provide with 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 my with my gals. But I think having the story from her perspective would also be cool because just imagine that you're like uh, this madam who just you know has a brothel in a way you're kind of protecting your these people who probably don't have it. out of everything they could either starve or they're just prostitutes. One, they don't like being prostitutes because it freaking sucks not yeah. having a choice. But two, think think about it. You're running this place. Eventually, a weird samurai comes. No, no name, no relation. You blue eyes, so you're not like you know, you know, a good amount of their history, and you can pretty much guess. Okay, you're trying to kill a white guy, especially when they go up to you and they're like, "I want to kill a white guy," and you're like, "Okay, don't you just want to have sex? I'll show you to have sex." And they refuse to have sex, right? They say, "I don't care about that. I just want to kill someone in there." And then you're thinking, he's probably like one of the like diamond penny kind of people who just say they want to. But you know they probably they're, they're probably like crash after a while, and then you see a princess that comes in, and after that the samurai does fulfills your one request, but then he brings a bunch of other people, and it looks like everything's gonna go go to shit, and then this one samurai kills all of them, and you're like, okay, you're way more of a man than anything that I ever thought, and then the princess gets taken away, and then a couple of months later you go to you go to see the shogun, and then the princess shows up, you have a conversation, and later on the princess hires you to be their personal kind of like attendant or, or assistant just that entire sequence of events is so interesting yeah it's kind of wild <laughs> just just think about it because like we know akemi we know the blue eye samurai but just seeing it from madam kaiji's perspective it's like that i think that would also it make would. for a good and start I think, akemi, the, I think the reason she's so interesting is she is the literal defiance like her character is the defiance of um of uh of uh patriarchy it's it's the defiance of like a male dominated society she is wants to and is hell-bent on taking her future into her own hands like at the end of the literally the end of the season she's like she chooses to stay with the royal family because she knows that the dude she married is super gullible and he doesn't know anything so she's like yeah i can take advantage of this i can i can become the ruler of japan i think it's i think that's why she's such a good character because like the first few episodes, she's grappling with this choice of, like, I should have a choice of who I want to be with. I shouldn't be able to, like, it shouldn't be up to, like, these men to decide for me. And then as the show goes on, yeah, we, we see her in, like, different scenarios. It, she learns what she needs exactly. instead of what and she like, wants. She, well, not just that. I think she, we also learn, like, what she not only excels at, 
but also how she can like take the future for herself if that makes sense like really like take a hold of that and like do what she wants to do and make the future and create the future yes, that yes, she yes. wants to create for herself as a woman and i think it's a very 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 powerful thing um i think initially she wanted she thought she wanted uh titan another like character that we haven't just spoken about but yeah. he's also really good um and then she realized what she really needed was autonomy the choice the choice itself to to be able to make your yeah. own decisions and yeah i don't know i think she's just a great character like you can really go on a deep dive like analyzation for her honestly when were you sold on her character? Because obviously she's unknown in initially because of how naive she was, and then she really grows into it. That's kind of when she decided to work with the brothel. Wait, that was early. Yeah, that's I think when she the last when her character development started, and then I was like, oh my god, she's gonna be a really good character. Because right then, right then, I knew, dude, like I knew that her character A was gonna be good, but B, like, there's clearly something more going on. Because like, if she could handle this. Her whole thing was like, and you brought this up, right? You thought it was really interesting how she hired the prostitutes that she worked with. I completely understand why she did that, you know, because of that episode. Because she saw these women, she met these women, and she recognized that these women didn't have another choice. They were bound to a life of servitude like this because they had to, because of society. It wasn't, they weren't living a free will. So by her giving them the option of like working for her in the palace, She's basically giving them a life. Like, she's basically being like, your choices are your own. You can do this if you want to. And if you come work for me, I will give you the freedom to be yourselves. Beautiful thing. And I think that episode was what cemented it. Like, that's what, that episode was, was what started her entire, like, character progression of, like, I'm going to control my own destiny. And no one's going to control it for me. Oh, my gosh. The ending, the ending for the episode eight ending is really good because I went solidifies her route and even with the statement of i want to be great very good very good one uh it's like poetry bro because you've been hearing people saying i want to be great and then that's that was their want not their need that's her need though she wants to be great to yeah. help others that you know there's a section that was missing of that but i was implied and i'm i'm with you i i was still kind of annoyed at her when she was working at browser one because i was like i don't i don't think yeah she's just yeah she was good she was good at what she did she she's talented right that was a good showing but I was sold on her and liking her when, one, she paid my Adam Kaiji to have all the contracts just fulfilled. That was great, and that was really necessary, because had she just offered them employment, that's not giving them choice, right? That's not giving them autonomy. That's not giving them freedom. What she initially did is she gave them freedom, and then she offered an option of working with her to make it so that other people have the same freedom. Or it's implied, right? From what the good that they can eventually do, and that was important. That those two actions were very important for me to be. Um, now in Akemi. Exactly, exactly. And I think that's that's like her character progression. I think overall was just fantastic, and it's something that I think we don't get to see in a lot of shows, especially revenge-centered shows, because a lot of revenge-centered shows are very, very much centered around the main protagonist, with like maybe one or two side characters. The coolest thing about this show specifically that I enjoyed the most was each character got so much screen time that you could see their character development and progression really, really well. And while the revenge was the main point, it didn't take away from Akemi's like, like need to be free. It didn't take away from Tygen's need to 
not only for his revenge, but also to find himself, right? He reminded me so much of Zuko. Oh I can. So, I can sound it like Zuko. So for a moment, I look it up, but he was very much was, a Zuko character. He was character. a Zuko character. And like his, like his idea of what it means to be like, not just a man, but like a human, like a human is a good person. And I think that's something that he's, he struggles with so much because he just doesn't know yep. what he even wants to be. So, so I feel like, I feel like it's, it's, it's a great thing to see in a show like this, where in a revenge hunter show, I feel like you don't really get that that often. This is my experience. So it's cool to see all these characters get really fleshed out. And like, we, we really see their progression and whatnot. It does have me a little worried yeah. though for season two, because I feel like one of the hardest things to do um, when this kind of, when these kind of stuff happen, where like they go, they focus on like two different countries and it's like two different cultures and all that. Yeah. It gets so convoluted so quickly. Th- that was actually one of the reasons why I was actually not the happiest with the ending where she ends up going to England. Cause I was just like, it's yeah, I mean like, sure it's interesting, but like, I would rather she just stay in Japan. Then we can focus on Akemi, on Taigen, like on these other characters and really see where they go with all the character progression we've made. But now that she's going to be in a different country, yeah. now we're going to introduce new characters. They're going to be on the, they're going to be a footnote and they might just exist. And that I'm hesitant about. I'm not going to lie. So I don't, I don't know how good season two is going to be. I'm just putting that out there. Yeah, you're absolutely right because it's different. What was good about the cast is that it was a cast. They were, you know, they, they interacted. That's important. That's essential for characters to interact with each other because, you know, there's a class of ideals, class of perspectives, and life experiences. And we like these people that we're introduced to, right? We want to see where they yeah. go now. Eigen, for example, yeah, he kind of knows what he wants to do, but I feel that out of everyone, he's still missing. Yeah, I mean, there's you know? so much more, I feel like, with this character that we need to explore that we just haven't gotten to yet. And something that I, I want them to, but I don't know if they will. Will and then how is it gonna weld with with Misu's story? Because she's in London. No, exactly. And so like that's something that I was thinking about too. Like, is she is he gonna just gonna like is he like did he sneak on board or something? Like, what's going on? I'm curious to see what's gonna happen, and I'm looking forward to it. But at the same time, knowing how hard it is to make a second season like this can be a lot. I do wish. And this is like my only gripe with the show that they did tie up some of these loose ends. For example, I would wish they ended Tygen's story at the end of the season. I'd wish that they at least like if they're going to focus on Mizu more for next season, introduce a lot more new characters, tie up Akemi's story. Like these stories need to be closed in order to open new ones. If you leave them open and then open new ones along with these, it's going to get too convoluted and too messy. One of the things, for example, yeah. That I really like about like a good a good example is Vinland Saga, right? The end of the first season, Askeladd's story is wrapped up. Like it's done by the like, the last season and we know it. It's like, okay, like Askeladd is done, this is done, now it's just Thorfinn. So then when he goes to uh the United States and Vinland, yeah, he like his story now can be involved with a lot of these new characters in this like in this like new place and like we can grow to love cherish understand these new characters more and more right because the old characters their chapters are closed they're done we don't have to worry about them anymore the thing is leaving leaving all this open 
just makes it crazy convoluted. So, low-key, and this is just me, wasn't the biggest fan of the ending. And I am a little worried about Season 2. I'm not sure how it's going to be as good as Season 1. Hopefully, I get proven wrong. But knowing how these things tend to go when you leave it at such an open-ended open-ended ending with so much, like, no resolution, it can get a little tricky sometimes. So, I don't know. My hopes for Season 2 aren't super high, but I do hope, in ter- not in terms of, like, the actual creation of Season 2, but more, like, production and quality of Season 2 compared to Season 1. But I will say, I hope that they prove me wrong. <laughs> and I hope that it stays, like, this level of quality. I think for Mizu's story, it's full commit. And I like that for Mizu and what it can go with because she's moving away from xenophobic Japan. And that's really interesting setting-wise. Going by the settings, and settings are really important on the themes that you want to explore. Very important on the themes you want to explore. You want, we want to explore freedom and, and like um, in, in a totalitarian kind of universe, right? Get, get a place that's mostly made out of islands so that people are separated and they have to make the active choice of leaving that item to get their freedom to meet other people like One Piece. So and in a lot of settings, it really emphasize like the kind of things that people want to explore. And I think her leaving Japan is very important for her revenge story, for that that uniqueness. However, not for the other characters, because, you know, like I mentioned, they're missing that interaction. They're missing, missing that conflict, that resolution, that found family aspect that, you know, you, they might probably have. And Taigen is very much not there yet. I really feel Taigen, even though he knows that he has a good idea of what the life he wants to live, a very, not a grandiose life, he wants to live a simple life. He, he's not done with, um, he, he's the person that has a lot of tension tied up with Mizu. I really think that those two are still connected. Um, the apprentice, right, Ringo, I think he's happy with, with, his new master or sword master. I think we can decently predict where Ringo is going to go because he's a good guy at heart and can put in the effort to become great. And especially under the guidance of a master, a master that we know is really one good at what they do, but also is open to other people. He's not, he's a completed character pretty much. The only person, the only character in the entire series that I think is quote unquote completed is the villain, which is, expected right especially if they're not going to change and then usually like the um the tutor type but what was cool about this one is that kemi also had a tutor type but he get, was given a false sense of completion as a character right but he still had positive growth uh which was good initially it was it was they were trying to sell us that he had the good idea of kemi what was best for kemi but eventually he was convinced no kemi's right you need to have your own agency which was fantastic but outside of um ringo and I'm going to say controversy, I think Akemi. I think we, I think the directors can do a good job of just having us assume what Akemi is going to do. And just leaving that for question and thought is more interesting than seeing what she actually does. Because the scenario where she's left with is so... That's what I'm saying, dude. And that's the problem. Like, now, I don't know if we're going to have enough time, really, and, like, breadth of the show to be able to explore that. Which makes it a lot harder to like fully enjoy. And that's something that I am very aware of and something I'm not the biggest fan of. So I really hope that Yeah. The best the best scenario is they just don't talk about Ringo anymore and we just assume they're doing well and we just get flashes into, you know, them having a happy life with the Swordmaster. And then Akemi, I don't think Akemi, I think it's actually cooler for us to never know what the hell she really? does. It yeah, I actually think 
it's because it's dark. The implication at the end with her dad being yeah. a cripple. And then she having now all control while, you know, obviously saying that she speaks for her father, the Lord, and then being the wife of the Shogun's second heir. Very interesting. Uh, and I think just leaving that for interpretation adds a lot more mystique and just... Akemi's character could go dark, is what I'm trying to imply. Mm-hmm. And I'm not... Don't get me wrong, if they had, if they could do a good job of tying both Mizu and then Akemi's well, maybe having them go through parallel journeys... Well, if Mizu goes through a positive character arc, we can see Akemi go through a negative character arc. And because they're both female, that's the only way that I can see it working to maintain Mystique. Uh, but outside of that, it's very difficult to to tie it together narratively to the point where maybe they might even consider dropping Akemi and just by quote-unquote dropping, they say that, oh, the um, the viewers can get a good understanding of what she's going to do. She's going to make things a bit better. Mm-hmm. And then focus on Mizu, because you're going to lose a lot if you might lose too much if you split the attention. Yeah, yeah. Which is my biggest issue, but we're I guess we'll find out. I mean, like, I want a Kemi story to be told, yeah. Because I think it's pretty interesting. It's probably the most interesting. Yeah. Yeah, I think the best narratively, if especially if they're a way that they can do is have them run in yeah. parallel and focus on a Kemi and Mizu with Tigan being a support. It's weird. There's no way Taigen would be with Mizu. Even though Taigen's most narrative connection would be strongest reflected with Mizu instead of Akemi. I'm I'm, I'm curious to see what happens. So we'll see. We'll see what... Hopefully we'll have next season and uh, hopefully we'll be able to see it. But the overall show was good. I really enjoyed it. Yep. I mean, I have a list of notes that I made on my episode, but we definitely... One, I don't think... We did bad when we were just talking about what we were. We enjoyed it. I think for episode one, I have Tigan wasn't a total sleaze bag. Uh, so and then I said, had Samurai be more gray right off the start because I thought I thought Mizu killed Tigan, but it was actually yeah. way more interesting. Yeah, conflicted relationship with the princess because uh, Tigan Tigan was not a good guy, but but there was a good comment by Mizu. Misu actually said he's not a good guy, but he could be great. That that fantastic. Yeah, it could be great. It's really cool. It's poetry, bro. It just rhymes. It really, mm, you know, that's what that's what you want in your stories. You want the same character to say the same thing, but have it recontextualized. Ugh. And we did not even talk about the villains. The villains are so good, dude. Yeah, the villains are. Father they're is really brutal, and they're terrible, terrible. terrible. They're like the. The worst part about humanity in people, in a person. And they're just so self-aware. And it's disgusting. I think one of the chilling lines, Fowler has has some very chilling lines. Remember what he did in the church? In his quote-unquote church? Yeah, that, that was crazy. That was insane. Yeah. Okay, so we might as well say it. They built a church for him. In the dungeon, because he's 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 a he's a white guy in Japan when they're not technically even supposed to be there. No one from the West is supposed to be in Japan, but he's there because he can make the Shogun rich from exports, and he has connections. And obviously, he has to be there because he has to be like, yeah, this is good, greenlit it. He's a business guy, but he's locked away 
from the public, and he hates it. He hates the fact that no one can see his face, and he says some very disgusting things in front of the Shogun. And I, I, I think I wrote this one down. He says several disgusting yeah. things, dude. It's just, oh, where is it, where is it, where is it? Because this one was really good. Until you think my, an ugly face like mine is more beautiful than your own. Yeah. God, that was crazy. Because um, he was in front of the Shogun, he kills him, He's and then he's right before he kills him he says he's gonna rule this entire place introduce a lot of just western influences opioids guns and a bunch of like different culture into it christianity too by the implication which is very on brand it really is it definitely is yeah super dark but the fact that this guy's self-aware to the point not not only self-aware but just aware enough to see into the future where this this sentence is accurate it's dark. He says some other disgusting things too, but I think that's probably one of the worst. And the next, there's two more that I definitely want to talk about. The next one is when he's talking about Mizu and the fire. That was crazy. That was just. I'm not gonna say because I think it's it's oh, yeah, it's just pretty terrible things. But it's really important because those are all things that she was thinking about herself already, and now it just got yes. Like, now you have a voice actor saying it. Like you have a person actually saying these things. Potentially yeah. your dad. It's insane, so. Yep. Yeah, I think that one was good. I think the one about the church is when he just walks in, there's like, hey dude, I don't I don't, you know, talk to you, pray to you at all. Jesus, my fellow. And the way he's talking to him or talking to this in his head, you know, just passing time because he's bored for shits and giggles. But the implications is crazy. He's talking to this to the, to the you know statue of Jesus Christ on the cross, and then he's saying they built this because they thought the white man needed Jesus or something. You know, weird Christianity. I don't care about Christianity. I don't care about you. I'm not Christian. I, I you know, don't get me wrong. I'm, I can I would use you, like I would use you right now. And then he says his deal, his quote unquote metaphysical deal with just God, saying, "Hey, dude, if things go my way in this raid, I'm gonna take that as, you know, a little nudge, nudge, wink, wink from you." That you made this happen. That I was ordained by God to control this land. And just... How conceited could you yeah. be to say that? But the next thing that he says is... And, and and the deal would be that I'll give you... Every one of the souls in this country will be yours. Because I what what do I need souls for? And that's implying that he's going to force Christianity into yeah. Japan. It's crazy. Bro, the lines that this guy be, says, man. God damn. Just really drives home quote-unquote white oh, yeah, devil 100 like and I, I mean that was the that was a point i feel like too with his entire character character yeah 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 he's okay it's so crazy it's the way he says things but yeah i mean like i i feel like we can go on and on about this and we can definitely dissect like different episodes in the future or if we want to make a part two we can but there is so much i think in this show a baseline that is very hard to talk about in extreme detail. But overall, the show, I think, is really good and worth watching. I'm personally just hesitant about the second season, but we'll see. We'll see. Maybe I'll be proven wrong. That was great. That was yeah, fantastic. Was really uh, Mizu. Mizu, cool. We didn't even talk about her. Dude, damn, God damn, Mizu. Mizu, your <laughs> life sucks. <laughs> it's pretty bad. It's pretty bad. I'm looking at some of the um, voice actors right now on the Wikipedia. Do you know Brenda's song is a princess? 
for those who don't know, Brenda Song was in The Sweet Life of Zack and Cody. He's also married to uh, the guy from Home Alone. Yeah, whatever his name is. Yeah, she's married to that guy. That guy. I don't remember his name. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Married since 2017, so I guess. I don't know. Happened. Yeah, that's cool. It's cool to see. She was pretty good. Every The voice actors were great. But without a doubt. It's good. I enjoy it. Alright, well. That's it, everyone. Please go watch The Blue Samurai, because I have no idea what... I, at this point, Netflix might as well just put something like... Put two, two, two pebbles in a box. Shake it up. One of them is blue, one of them is red. And pick one up, and that's like, oh, okay, I guess they get a second season. Because I have no idea what metrics oh, yeah. they're using. I have no idea either. So there, there's no guarantee that the show will get a second season. But, and like, unfortunately, the ending does have a cliffhanger. But I feel like the show overall is still worth watching. Because it's really good, and it's really interesting. Um, so hopefully there's going to be a second season, but I guess we'll see. Okay. Yeah. And I think we should just cut it there. Sometimes we end there with, oh, the same what we're watching. But no, this is long. This is long. Uh, we're, we're let everyone go. Yeah, this is a long episode. This is a long episode. Um, yeah. I mean, thank you so much, everyone, for listening. I think we'll cut it off there. Uh, we'll have another episode soon. I know The Boy of the Heron came out recently. Something that we might want to discuss. Yeah, I was just thinking. Um, Boy Heron, Godzilla Cosmo minus, minus one. one, which is apparently really good. I haven't watched it at the time of recording. So I will probably be watching it soon. So great movies, great shows, a lot of good content out right now. So we'll definitely have something for you guys soon. But uh, for now, if we don't, uh, if we don't get to uh, talk to you guys before the holidays, Merry Christmas for those who celebrate. Happy New Year to everyone. Hope you guys have a relaxing, wonderful, and enjoyable time with loved ones, family, friends, and even just by yourself and enjoy yourself. Enjoy your enjoy your time and hope you guys have a good one. Happy holidays. Bye everyone.